sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. Tonight on The Readout, how long will you watch people being gunned down in first grade, fourth grade, high school, college, church, synagogue, a grocery store, a movie theater, a mall, and a nightclub Congresswoman. and do nothing? Congresswoman Val Demings shredded Marco Rubio on the debate stage last night as Florida becomes the emblem of the rot on the right. Also tonight, Donald Trump under oath deposed today in E. Jean Carroll's defamation case. And we could be just hours away from the delivery of that subpoena from the January 6th committee. Plus, incredible new reporting on the man Barack Obama, President Obama, warned Trump about Michael Flynn and his holy war on America. And Rachel Maddow is going to join me tonight. Very excited about that. Have you caught her amazing new podcast yet? We are going to get an exclusive preview of episode four of Ultra. And we've got much more to talk about with the great Rachel Maddow. But we begin tonight with Florida, which I would argue, even with Texas existing, has emerged as the modern state in this country that comes the closest to a modern day version of Jim Crow. Now, just hear me out. If there is a state that better exemplifies the rot of MAGA Republican rule than the state of Florida that the governor has named in very Orwellian fashion the free state of Florida, I honestly don't know where it is, don't know what it is. I mean, Florida has it all. A law banning gay people from declaring their existence at school. Teachers can actually get fired for it. A law against anti-racist policies at work, like you have to let the racism be in the workplace or else. Book bans and requirements for patriotic Christian education propaganda in public schools. And of course, a concerted effort to make it as hard as possible for anyone who might vote for the out of power party, the Democrats, hashtag black people, to vote or to have representative districts. Florida's Jim Crow redux governor, Ron DeSantis, even has his own Office of Election Crimes. Newly released and frankly disturbing video shows Tampa police back in August arresting people on charges of illegal voting in the 2020 election. So ma'am, we have a warrant for your arrest. For what? For bona fide. Good, how are you, sir? Right? Boss, how's it going? Oh my God, hold on. Wait, wait. Let me tell my husband. We, we, we're yeah, telling, he's right here. right here. So if you could put your hands on your back, please. Oh my God. Do so, not move. ultimately ma'am, you have a warrant? Okay. The warrant, no. hold on, listen. I know you're, yeah, you caught off guard, I understand. Right? So you have a warrant. It's for voter fraud, okay? I voted fraud. I voted, but I ain't fought, commit no fraud. Well, yeah, so th that's the thing. I, I don't know exactly what happened with it, but you, you do have a warrant. That's what it's for. Okay. Oh, my God. Yeah, so I don't know what happened with that, but you do have a warrant. Apparently, I, I, I guess you have a warrant? For what? I'm not it's sure. for voter stuff, man. For voters. What it is, it. I think the agents with FDLE talked to you last week about some voter fraud, voter stuff when you weren't supposed to be voting. Maybe voter right. fraud. Let, let's walk why, over to my car. Okay. Y'all doing this now, and, and this happened years ago. I don't know. I, I have no idea, man. This is crazy, man. Yes, sir. 
So we're gonna go over to the hood of my car and I gotta search you, okay? What is wrong with this state, man? Solid question posed by Tony Patterson, one of the 20 individuals with felony convictions arrested on charges of voter fraud, many of whom had no idea they were not allowed to vote. And to be clear, that is because Ron DeSantis and his Republican cronies in the state legislature have done everything in their power to reverse the clock back to the 19th century. In 2018, Florida voters overwhelmingly approved an amendment reversing one of several Jim Crow era laws in southern states and restoring voting rights for those with a felony conviction, except those convicted of murder or of a felony sex offense. More than a million Floridians got their right to vote back. But in 2019, the Republican state legislature stepped in and passed legislation requiring those citizens to pay associated fees or fines before regaining their voting rights. Basically, a big fat poll tax, which, of course, DeSantis happily signed into law. That law, which was upheld by a federal court in 2020, put a price on voting for thousands of disproportionately black, brown and low income white Floridians that can run as high as $50,000 in some cases. In fact, in 2020, celebrities like LeBron James, Michael Bloomberg, and others contributed millions of dollars to help cover those fees and restore thousands of people's right to vote. So naturally, DeSantis asked his attorney general to investigate the donations, saying that helping people pay their poll tax was an illegal incentive to vote. Meanwhile, those Floridians hauled off in handcuffs this summer didn't even know they weren't legally allowed to vote. Some of them showed police their voter registration cards that they'd received when they applied for them. The Tampa Bay Times found, unsurprisingly, that those arrested for illegal voting have nearly all been black or registered Democrats. Ta-da! Meanwhile, in the mostly white, heavily Republican community called The Villages, three Trump supporters who have admitted to voting multiple times for Trump were ordered to complete community service and take civics classes. And with that, their debt to society will be paid. See, when you vote the right way, even multiple times, you're good. And if Florida is the perfect emblematic state for MAGAism and the current Republican Party, well, incumbent Republican Senator Marco Rubio is the perfect avatar. Here is what he said when he was asked about how hard it is to vote in the state of Florida. There's danger involved in drop boxes. People need to think about it. Okay, imagine someone decides, oh, there's a drop box. I'm just going to put some explosive in it and blow it up and burn all of those ballots. And now those votes don't count at all. Right. I mean, I mean, what if aliens like beam up the drop boxes? I mean, how are you going to count the votes then? They'll be in an alien ship. And it only got worse from there. As Congresswoman Val Demings called him out on his history of morphing into whatever rotten party position that he thinks will get him power. She's never passed a single bill. She's been in Congress for over half a decade. She's never passed a bill, not PPP, not anything. That's not true. I know the senator. Look, and, and I'm really disappointed in you. Marco Rubio, because I don't I think there was a time when you did not lie in order to win. I don't know what happened to you. Our primary responsibility is the safety of Floridians and Senator 24 years in elected office. And you have not yet risen to that occasion. And then when asked about it, you say something that makes no sense. The truth of the matter is, at the end of the day, that Americans have a Second Amendment right to protect themselves. The extremist on abortion in this campaign is Congresswoman Demings. 
She supports no restrictions, no limitations of any kind. As a police detective who investigated cases of rape and incest, no, Senator, I don't think it's okay for a 10-year-old girl to be raped and have to carry the seed of her rapist. No, I don't think it's okay for you to make decisions for women and girls. Joining me now is Charles Blow, New York Times columnist and MSNBC political analyst, and Adrian Elrod, former senior aide on the Biden-Harris and Clinton-Cain campaigns. And I know Adrian is like jumping out of her skin to talk about uh, Val Demings, but I'm going to start with you, Charles Blow. You have the disadvantage of not being here at the table with us because I have to talk about Florida in general. I mean, that video of those police officers, some in some cases reluctantly arresting black folks for voting, to me, this is not even just about them or about the guys in the villages who admitted to multiple voting and voting fraud, getting off the the hook. It's about Florida trying to send a message. Let's just be clear to the one plus million folks who got their voting rights back. You can't vote here. Your votes aren't welcome here. If you're black, if you're brown, if you're poor, if you're not going to vote for Republicans, your votes aren't welcome here. Your thoughts? Yes, I think we all have to remember that voter suppression has never been about just one thing. Yes, it is about district hacking and gerrymandering of districts uh, and and drawing away minority minority districts. Yes, it is about uh, eliminating uh, people from the voting uh, rolls by purging. Yes, it is also about, um, you know, making sure that people who have particular kinds of ID or don't have those particular kinds of ID have a harder time voting. And also it is about what you see in this video, which is absolute, which is actually terror. I'm actually a little bit nervous about even showing this video, because on the one hand, I think we have to see it because you can understand the horror of it. But what it does is it takes what this horrific thing happened to 20 people and broadcast it to all Floridians, because you can imagine the terror of someone who is just not sure about something or believe that they may not be sure. And the idea that they should go to vote and just try to vote for the person, someone to represent them, that somehow by some mistake, They could get caught up in Marco Rubio's terror campaign, taken away from children, taken away from employment, taken away from home, is a suppressor in and of itself. Even if it only happened to 20, it could suppress so many more votes to see the anguish in those people's eyes as they are arrested and hauled away from their homes. That that is the grand scheme of how terror around voting has always worked. You know, it, Adrian, it's, it's, a, it's an excellent point. I mean, back in, in 2000, the, the way that voter suppression kind of worked in Florida is that they would put these billboards up saying voter fraud is a felony. And it just had a black person behind bars on it. And it yeah. wasn't saying anything to you. you you're you like, well, I'm not a voter fraud per- person, but I'm, sure. I am black. And this is Florida. I am mm-hmm. in the South. Yeah. And I'm a little nervous now. There were police patrols and you would st- go through a, a police cordon before you get to the polls. All mm-hmm. these little fun tricks that Florida. So people forget Florida is the South. Yeah. And now what you have Ron DeSantis doing is saying, you know what, Lee County, we had a big old hurricane. I'm going to make it easier for those of you guys who want to vote in those drop boxes that Rocco Rubio says might be blown up. Right. You can use them, but I'm only going to put them in Republican areas, white areas, not going to put them where anybody that ain't white and voting for me is going to get them. This guy is so openly voter suppressive. Mm-hmm. He's got election police. He wants intimidation because he will win at any cost. No, you're exactly right, Joy. And these are the sort of tactics that we're seeing, not just in Florida, but in other places across the country. Some of them are driving headlines. Some of them are are a little bit more subtle. And it's important that we notice them and that we call them out for what they are. Charles was exactly right. Um, You know, if you are a voter in Florida and you're watching these videos, 
you might think twice about whether or not you want to vote, especially, you know, if you have had a minor criminal record or, or if something happened in your past that may want to, you know, cause you concern uh, about, you know, g- getting arrested. I mean, these are the kind of tax- tactics that they are deploying. Yeah. When you also contrast that, Joy, with somebody like Terry McAuliffe, when he was governor of Virginia, one of the first things he did is allowed anyone who is a former convicted felon to be able to vote. It was a huge thing for us, for us and for, for Democrats. Yeah. And it sort of paved the way across the country and for other states to do that. Exactly. But one of the reasons why Republicans don't want to see this is because they believe that's going to put more people in Democratic hands in terms of who's going to vote for Democrats. But let me just stay with you for just a moment, because Val Demings, who is a former law enforcement officer, she has yep. a real badge, not like the Herschel Walker fake mm-hmm. one. But I mean, she's running now. And what I've been sort of flummoxed by when I talk to friends of mine that are working on campaigns down there is that there is there there is, there is sort of a almost sort of built-in passivity that they're trying to force on voters who should be otherwise inspired by her, right? Yeah. And so it's like every trick in the book. This is a woman who, she laid Marco Rubio out. There's nobody oh, saying she sane crushed say that the, debate. And yet it's, it's, it, it feels like there's so much suppression in that state. Yeah. So much fear. And women are already, you know, teenage girls are having to leave the state to get abortions. Right. Florida feels so far gone. Do you, how do you feel about sort of its prospects to return to democracy? Well, not only, of course, under Governor DeSantis, have you seen more laws passed that have hurt women, hurt children, hurt, hurt people of color? Uh, but you also have to look back, of course, to 2016. This has become an increasingly redder state. Hillary Clinton lost Florida by a point to Donald Trump. Joe Biden lost Florida by a couple points to Donald Trump. This is just becoming a more red state. Um, you know, we could go yeah. into, we could talk about forever why that's the case. Yeah. Uh, but what, what does bother me about this race is I do think some of the national Democrats have just sort of written this off. Like, there's yeah. no way Val Dem- Demings can beat Marco Rubio. I think if there had been a little bit more investment mm-hmm. in her race early on, and by the way, I'm not writing her off yet. I think she's got a really good shot. Yeah. But I think if we had seen some early investment in this race, better. you know, it could have been better. But let, let me play, Yamisha Alcindor did interview the Florida Secretary of State about these voting rules. Here's Yamisha's uh, reporting. What do you say to critics who say that the Office of Election Crimes and Security, what some have called the election police force, that that was created to establish a false narrative, a political narrative uh, about a problem that doesn't really exist? Yeah, I mean, I think that's just completely inaccurate and belies the truth that there are people that, that vote that aren't entitled to vote. And every single person that votes that shouldn't uh, undermines someone who, do, who uh, the legal vote of someone else. And Charles, you know, this is the argument that Republicans are making to justify suppressive rules. They're like, we're just trying to make it harder to cheat. But they actually don't ever show any evidence that anyone other than these Trump supporters that we know did cheat in the state of Florida, they get to read a civics book and go about their business. I'll bet they'll be able to vote this this cycle. Absolutely. This is not a problem that is a real problem, right? There are only a handful of people who ever vote in these elections illegally. You can go after them with existing laws. You do not need a new uh, law enforcement entity to go after them. But more importantly, you have to remember, you know, anyone who is a, a kind of a student of history, the idea of election integrity was the exact same rationale that was used to erect Jim Crow in the first place, that they That's were right. saying that black people and carpetbaggers and people from the North were uh, were, uh, was kind of disqualifying the vote by by corrupting it. And that is why they had to step in and make the vote safe, secure, and legitimate 
again. And they did that by erasing the rights of almost all black people to vote in those southern states. This is not a new thing. This is the exact same rationale. It's the same rationale. And they said the same thing. Well, those people are being driven by communists. They're being driven by socialists. They said the same thing in the 60s and 50s. Uh, By the way, I do want to let you all know that you can catch more of this interview. Yamisha's great interview with the Florida Secretary of State tomorrow night at 1030 p.m. on Meet the Press Reports on NBC News Now. And Charles Blow and Adrian Elrod, thank you both very much. And up next on The Readout, Trump's many, many, many legal problems. We will get the very latest on the stolen documents, the insurrection, the defamation case, and on and on and on and on and on. And be sure to join us on The Readout on Friday. Jonathan Capehart has an exclusive sit-down interview with President Joe Biden, where they'll discuss the midterms, the state of American democracy, and much more. You do not want to miss it. The Readout continues after this. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. We'll be issuing the subpoena shortly, both for his testimony under oath as well as for documents. Um, and we'll take whatever next steps we have to take, um, you know, assuming that he will fulfill his legal obligation and, and honor the subpoena. But if that doesn't happen, then we'll we'll take the steps we need to take after that. That was January 6th Committee Vice Chair Liz Cheney last night saying that the American people deserve to hear directly from Donald Trump. And like anyone else in this country, he needs to be held accountable. The subpoena from her committee could be coming at any moment now. It is just one of the growing number of legal woes for the twice impeached, disgraced former president. Today, Trump was deposed under oath in a federal defamation lawsuit brought by columnist E. Jean Carroll, who alleges that Trump raped her in the mid-1990s in a department store dressing room in Manhattan. Carroll says that Trump damaged her reputation back in 2019 when he accused her of lying while trying to sell a book. Trump's lawyers argue that he was shielded by a federal law that immunizes government employees from claims of defamation. However, he has undermined that very defense by making the same denial just last week on his pretend Twitter, Truth Social, calling it a hoax and once again claiming in gross and disgusting fashion that it could not have happened because, quote, this woman is not my type. Joining me now is Barbara McQuaid, former U.S. attorney and currently a professor uh, at the University of Michigan Law School. Uh, they, they call them on, on, uh, on these criminal law cases the unsub. So, I, you know, he's he saying she's not my type. Are you saying that you might be the unsub and that you might uh, only rape a type of woman? It makes no sense for him to say that. But let's talk about this law under which E. Jean Carroll is able to operate. Um, it's a law that allows sexual assault victims a one-time opportunity to file a civil lawsuit even if the statute of limitations has expired. So this deposition that happened today could be used in that case. How might that play out? This is a civil case, not criminal. How does it play out? 
Yeah, so we don't know what he said in his deposition. Both parties are abiding by a gag order not to share uh, the contents of it. It could be that he answered questions. It could be that he simply denied the underlying allegation. Uh, it could be that he invoked his Fifth Amendment rights against uh, testifying about that so as to neither lie nor to admit to it. Now, one of the things, of course, that is different in a civil case than in a criminal case is that a jury can be told that a person invoked their Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination because they had a well-grounded fear of criminal prosecution by answering. So it could come up in this case and in that mm -hmm. case. But I think that the most significant point of all that you made, uh, Joy, was the one about his repeating the statement on Truth Social. Like, I think yeah. he might have really blown it there. He's got this potential technical legal defense that yeah. he said it in the scope of his presidency. And um, maybe, maybe not. But to saying it, you know, last week is most certainly after his presidency, and <laughs> yeah. she could file an amended complaint to add that claim. Yeah, there's no, no accounting for intelligence in the things that he does. Uh, let, let's go back to January 6th. So there is a federal judge who has now said that Trump knew that his voter fraud claims were fake and has ordered John Eastman to give more emails to the January 6th committee. Here's the uh, NBC News uh, reporting. According to the judge, John Eastman said in one of the email exchanges that Trump was aware that the number of voter fraud cases his team was alleging in a federal lawsuit challenging the election results in Georgia was inaccurate. Uh, but that Trump pushed ahead with that anyway. Uh, Trump signed off on, in the end, swearing under oath that the numbers were correct. Does this factor in in any sense to the Georgia case? Because there is still the Fonnie Willis case that's happening in Georgia. Oh, I think so. I think this could be excellent evidence. You know, alone, it's 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 not a, uh, a case I don't think that anyone would bring. But I think it tends to show Donald Trump's absolute callous disregard for the facts that he was told a number was incorrect and that yet he still signed a document saying it was correct, that he had investigated it and to the best of his knowledge, it was accurate. John Eastman even said he shouldn't sign this document because he <laughs> knows that the statement is false and yet Trump signed it anyway. So I think that is just one piece of the larger case that you would show of his intent to defraud. But I think that Fonnie Willis would love to have that email uh, to demonstrate to a fact finder that Donald Trump absolutely knew what he was doing was false and that he did it anyway to serve his own purposes. Let me ask you about the subpoena real quick before we lose you um, for, for time. Um, so we have become accustomed or we unfortunately became accustomed during Trump's four year presidency of people doing this thing called blowing off subpoenas. Yeah. And just pretending that they didn't have to follow them and pretending that subpoenas don't matter to if you're MAGA. Can Trump evade the subpoena that the January 6th committee is going to drop? Well, I'm sure you're right that he's going to try. Um, he certainly has potential uh, privileges he could assert from executive privilege to Fifth Amendment privilege against self-incrimination. But you can't just not show up, blow it off, as you said. You're supposed to show up and assert privileges on a question-by-question -question basis because not everything is privileged. And then you preserve the record so a judge can decide whether it is or isn't privileged and then direct you to answer the question. Ultimately, uh, if he is in contempt, it would be up to the Justice Department to decide whether to bring criminal charges to force him to testify. So we'll see how that goes. But I think the committee is well within its rights to demand and expect that he will show up to answer their questions. Yeah, his uh, when you're a celebrity, they let you do it. That, that can't be the defense to everything <laughs> that he has alleged that he has done, that it is alleged that he has done. Barbara McQueen, always a pleasure. Thank you very much. Appreciate you. And coming up, startling new reporting into Trump's national security advisor, Michael Flynn, and his far right holy war that's gaining an alarming amount of support across the country. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm OK. 
when the truth is... I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say... Hang it in there. Because... If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Capella University is rethinking higher education. With their game-changing FlexPath format, you can earn your degree on your schedule, so you can fit education seamlessly into your life. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. You don't want allow, to allow the enemy to choose the terrain to fight on. The terrain that I've chosen to fight on is the local battlefield, the local terrain. And I think that that's the terrain that will win the day. How did Trump's national security advisor, Michael Flynn, go from being an elite three-star army general to waging a spiritual war on America? A new documentary from Frontline and the Associated Press tackles that very question, tracking Flynn's holy war from the front lines in Iraq and Afghanistan to his newly chosen battleground of local politics. Associated Press correspondent Michelle Smith, also a correspondent for the documentary, reports on Flynn's activity in Sarasota County, Florida, where Flynn and his allies have created a kind of laboratory for his approach, energizing local conservative activists at a venue called The Hollow. Smith saw posts online about right-wing political events happening there, along with free shooting lessons for children as young as six, a place both Flynn and members of the Proud Boys had frequented. Smith's frontline colleagues got to take a tour of The Hollow and interviewed its owner, Victor Miller, who called his role in the January 6th insurrection euphoric. Joining me now is Michelle Smith, the Associated Press correspondent who spent more than a year uh, covering Flynn for the AP and the new documentary, Michael Flynn's Holy War. And I watched it this afternoon. Thank you for being here, um, Michelle. And it's it, it, it's fascinating. Michael Flynn is an interesting character. I mean, this guy was an elite um, military member. He was the head of the Defense Intelligence Agency. He was somebody considered a rising star in the United States military. Then something goes haywire. Uh, by the time it's over and he gets booted out of the Obama administration, he's at a state dinner with Vladimir Putin. I think we have a picture of it. He's, he's sitting around with the, the Vladimir Putin at a state dinner. Jill Stein was also there, interestingly enough. What happened? Um, well, that's what we look at in our uh, film. Um, we traced... Flynn's life from his growing up in Rhode Island in a big Irish Catholic family and being politically active with his mom, who was a big uh, anti-abortion activist here, um, and then into the military. And then he was uh, left the DIA and um, hooked up with the Trump campaign. And um I we paid a lot of attention to what he's doing now, what we were very interested in his activities since January 6th and um, what he's been doing since since Trump pardoned him and um, since the insurrection failed. Uh, he moved to Florida and um, started getting involved in local politics. 
And, and I mean, they, he's also become sort of almost like a messianic figure, like a celebrity in the MAGA world. And you, you, it partly feels like watching the documentary, it's partly self-aggrandizement, like he's enjoying the celebrity of being sort of a star uh, and an ego, but also this like religious fervor and this conviction that he's fighting some sort of religious war to beat back leftism and communism and et cetera. Let me play a clip. This is a clip of you trying to interview him. <laughs> and this, here's, here it is. AP is a horrendous organization, okay? And you've been, been, you've been attacking me relentlessly for no good reason ever, okay, for the last five years. So you wanna know, what am I after? I'm after trying to say, get, you know, get off this high horse. The media has done such a disservice to, frankly, to democracy. Because of this interview, because of this interview, I will never talk to AP again. Okay, no, no, no. I was dumb. This is a guy who was only, he only lasted as national security advisor for 24 days, turned around and lied to the FBI, pleaded guilty to it, got pardoned by Trump, took the QAnon pledge. This is a guy who has pledged his fealty to QAnon. And so it's kind of the religious movement around him. Do you get the sense that the movement around him is more anti-democracy? Is it more race paranoia or demographic paranoia, or is it more religion? Um, it's, uh, there are many aspects to this, uh, movement that he's building. Um, he's, you know, there's it, he's been on tour. He's been to, you know, 60 different locations giving speeches since January 6th. And he's bringing together all these different elements. Um, there's conspiracy theorists, um, there's uh, election deniers, there's anti-vaxxers, and he's kind of bringing them all together under this, um, in this movement. It's a Christian nationalist movement that, uh, you know, the idea is that America is a Christian nation and we need to get back to, bring it back to Christ and bring it back to religious principles. Um, that is what he is espousing. Now, in this interview that I did with him, this was an interview. This was an event that he was announcing a big initiative where he's sending out um, he, he and he and his one of the groups that he works with have been doing this, have been training election and poll workers all around the country. Um, and that's why, you know, that's why he had this event. And that's how I ended up getting the interview, because I wanted to talk to him about what this was that he was doing, the work that he's doing. Um, and uh, and that was, you know, several months ago. And since then, he's, you know, all there's been lots of stories around the country of his this initiative that he's doing, actually training people to yeah. um go to the polls and and he himself Flynn himself is uh signed up to be a poll worker well, that, in his in Minnesota County that does not uh, raise my confidence <laughs> in the elections uh it's scary stuff uh, the, the documentary is excellent hopefully people will watch it uh it is is fantastic it is a frontline documentary uh Michelle Smith thank you very much really appreciate you being here tonight thank you and coming up thank next you. Cheers. My pal, Rachel Maddow, joins me. There she is to discuss her brand new, awesome new podcast, Ultra, which takes a deep dive into the history of American extremism. And to be frank, we're kind of witnessing similar behavior with today's Republican Party. Stay right here because Rachel is right on the other side of the break. Kevin 
McCarthy received a verbal smackdown from Congresswoman Liz Cheney for threatening to limit military aid to Ukraine if Republicans take back the House in November. The House Minority Leader told Punchbowl News, I think people are going to be sitting in a recession and they're not going to want to write a blank check to Ukraine. It is Mark Twain who once said, history never repeats itself, but it often does rhyme. And what McCarthy's saying here sure sounds like something that we've heard before in U.S. history, specifically in the 1930s, when fascism was on the rise across the globe. Back then, the U.S. had its original America First movement centered around opposition to our country getting involved in World War II in any capacity, even by sending aid. The original America Firsters wanted the U.S. to just live with Hitler. Some even supported him and aligned with the Nazis' hatred of Jews. Among those leading the charge were Charles Lindbergh, radio host father Charles Coughlin, and automobile industrialist Henry Ford. And their ideas were supported by sitting members of Congress, like Senator Ernest Lundeen, as my friend and colleague Rachel Maddow points out in her amazing new podcast, Ultra. Fellow Americans, America prepares to take the last step before entering another world war. I call upon the youth of America to put a stop to these un-American, pro-European doctrines. The people should make known their protest. Write your congressmen and senators, telephone them, wire them, come to Washington to see them. You must do this now. Immediate protest will block the way to militarizing our nation. And joining me now is my friend and colleague, the great Rachel Maddow, host of The Rachel Maddow Show and the new MSNBC original podcast series, Ultra. And Rachel, I have to tell you, I really think that your focus group for everything you do is just me. It's just like, (laughs) what is Joy obsessed with? Oh, I'm going to make a whole podcast about it. I am so obsessed with this era, and I am so glad that you made this because I do feel like this is history rhyming. The America first piece, the, you know, the anti-Semitism that we're seeing from Trump and people like Kanye, the, you know, the whole vibe of this America first movement feels the same. And, and this episode that we're going to preview, that we're previewing tonight, it talks about the, uh, one of the elected officials who was a part of it. And his name is Ernest Lundeen. Um, I want to let you set it up, but I want you to also tell me why you wanted to do this particular era. First of all, thank you for setting it up like that. That was awesome. And it's great to hear Lendine's voice on television. I don't, I'm not sure that Ernest Lendine's voice has ever been played on television before. That part where he says, wire them, like in that weird 40s accent, you know, it's so great to hear. I mean, it's terrible, but it's also great to hear. Um, And in terms of the resonance and you being my focus group, man, it it is you and I both, you and I are a little bit attached at the brain on these things. (laughs) And I keep telling people, you know, this is about sedition and in fact, a big sedition trial. And we've got the Oath Keepers on trial for seditious conspiracy right now. We've got the Proud Boys seditious conspiracy trial that's going to start before the end of the year. And as well, in addition, this is the predecessor to that, the podcast um, in the in the final episodes of this season is about the great sedition trial of 1944, where there's more than two dozen people on trial for seditious conspiracy. They're charged not only with trying to overthrow the government by force, a la January 6th, but being hooked up with the Hitler government while they did mm-hmm. it. And so it's it's about sedition, which we're confronting now. It's about authoritarianism and fascism in the United States, which we are confronting now. I will tell you, though, like the other piece of it, which I also feel like you and I are of the same mind about, is that it's about there being really, really, really terrible members of Congress. You know what I mean? Like, we think that we've got as bad as they get, and there couldn't be a worse bunch. But 
like, let's so Ernest Lundin. The podcast opens with Ernest Lundin dying in a plane crash, in a very mysterious plane crash that stays mysterious. Um, and what emerges is that he's involved in a plot with an agent from Hitler's government. And that's kind of where we left the story of Ernest Lundin at the beginning of the podcast. But as we head into this next episode that's going to drop on Monday, um, you get to meet Ernest Lundin's widow, his wife who was left behind when he died. And you get to hear her trying to explain away everything that he did, saying he definitely wasn't a Nazi. All this stuff that you guys are saying about him seeming like a Nazi totally isn't true. It's all just a big misunderstanding. And so we have a, we have a little sound from the senator, but I wanted to give to you. Nobody else has ever yeah. heard this. Um, the sound from Senator Lundin's widow. So here it is. Fabulous. All right, roll them. A number of photographs of my husband were taken while he was speaking. One of those photographs was taken at such an angle as to convey the impression that my husband was standing beneath the swastika. As a matter of fact, he was standing under the stars and stripes. I have beside me four photographs proving the truth of my statement. <laughs> and as goes, Chris Hayes would have said, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> But she's like, you think you've seen a photo of him standing underneath the swastika banner? I'm sure he didn't. Well, here's the photo of him. I mean, and I don't know which is, is sort of richer, that old American accent where everybody talked like this back in the, you know, like, so that's part of it. But I mean, you're right. And it is the, the denial of reality that you can see to me is the other thing that is resonant between that era and this one. Because if you would like put like, you know, Henry Ford or, or, you know, or, or, or Lindbergh on TV at that time, they would have denied absolutely that they were pro the Nazi government. But it's like the denial of reality that you can see and the determination to sedition. It feels so parallel to today. And we talk ourselves into this idea that there's something magic about like Facebook or social media, which has allowed people to create an alternate reality where the facts don't count and you can deny reality and everybody gets to live in their own bubble. You know what? I'm sorry. Norma Lundin in February, 1941 was on the radio in a nationwide broadcast being like, don't believe your lion eyes. That didn't really happen. I mean, they didn't, that was, that was not thanks to Twitter. Like we have had, we have had confrontations with authoritarianism and fascism in this country before they are often fought with, in in fights that involve very powerful politically connected people on the wrong side of that fight. And they're often fought in what feels like a post-truth environment where people deny that they're doing the things that they're doing. The worst people among us aren't at all having any compunction about lying. And people yeah. who do have compunction about lying are therefore at a disadvantage in debate. And so it's, I, I don't, I just feel like to me, I know it's, it's a depressing subject matter. Like, forgive me, my, I will, I will, if the FBI isn't investigating me based on the things that I have in terms of used books over the last year, they, they need to get back to work. But it's a depressing topic, but I also feel like it's heartening to me because it, I, I hear too much defeatism from people in yes. our generation. Like, oh, this is so terrible and there's no way to fight it and it's a juggernaut. No, we have fought this stuff in the past in That's almost right. the exact same. 
You know, and the thing that actually does scare me is that the thing that if you go back and you look at that era, what finally kind of wrests America out of its America first sort of bubble that we can let Hitler be is, number one, an attack on the United States, right, that brings the country together under, but also the moral authority that FDR was able to wield and that presidents could wield in that era. The thing that is different between then and now is that it's hard to imagine any president of the United States in this hyper-partisan era being able to wield the kind of moral authority or bring the country together under that authority to reverse this push toward fascism. I think that's probably what scares me at least more than anything else. Although when you look back at the hostility to Roosevelt, it reminds me nothing so much as the hostility, uh, reminds me of nothing so much as it, as, as the insane hysterical hatred of Barack Obama. Very true. I mean, the anti-Roosevelt forces in this country in the lead up to the 1940 election literally included a group of well-connected, well-off, um, well-funded Americans, very high-resource, high-capability high, high Americans who were planning in the immediate aftermath of the 1940 election to have 13-man cells all around the country launch violent attacks that would set off a violent revolution in this country. And they figured enough Americans would be dissatisfied with Roosevelt winning re-election that people would rise up and join it. I mean, that was happening. Henry Ford yeah. was the most prominent industrialized industrialist in the country. Charles Lindbergh was the most famous person in the country, not named President Roosevelt. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, the, the, all of the titans of industry were part of the America First movement, which was was taking support from the Hitler government. And the Hitler government yeah. was bragging in their internal memos about how they were in great communication with those folks. So it really was very powerful interests arrayed against Roosevelt in a completely hysterical way. Yeah. And yet, and yet, through all these different, all these different ways of fighting it, uh, Americans did the right thing and beat them back. But that story needs to be told. We need to know what those tactics were and how those people worked. A hundred percent. Ultra is everyone. You really will become addicted to it. Um, but you know what? My secret plan is essentially to create a hostage situation where I never let Rachel Maddow leave. <laughs> I let her stay with me <laughs> until the end of the show. So I'm going to ask you, Rachel, please, can I just keep you for one quick commercial break and just ask you one question? It's not on Ultra, but it's on another thing that's really important. Can you stay for like two minutes? Absolutely. Next. Absolutely. Hostage situation fully implemented. <laughs> stay right there, everybody. We'll be right back. <laughs> I am back with the great Rachel Maddow. Okay, Rachel, I have one quick question on a non-ultra topic. You've covered this more than I have, than we have on this show, but John Durham, what an interesting mm. figure. He's the guy who Bill Barr brought in to try to investigate the investigation into Russiagate. He is now 0 for 2, <laughs> like his latest attempt to prosecute based on, I guess, trying to find some criminal activity involved in the investigation of Donald Trump. What do you make of the number of legal figures like Durham who are willing to essentially throw their legal careers away on these quests to sort of absolve Trump of Russiagate even now. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a true fiasco. I mean, this is something the Justice Department is going to have to contend with, that they this is part of their record now. This is essentially trying to problematize or criminalize the Russia investigation. Mueller investigation was nowhere near as long as Durham's investigation of it. This was three years he brought two cases to trial. In both of them, there was basically an instantaneous acquittal. Yeah. And so we're left with not only is the Russia investigation and the Mueller investigation not a problem and not a crime, we're left with 
there were concerning ties between the Trump campaign and Russia. While Russia was helping get Trump elected, the Trump campaign chair gave private polling data to a Russian intelligence officer while they were doing it. Oh, and by the way, the people who were sources of information about the Trump campaign being connected to Russia, those people did nothing wrong. And at least in the case of this guy, Denchenko, who was just acquitted, he was a wildly important, credible source for the FBI about Russia, who has now been burnt and blown up because Durham invest, Durham's investigation and Republicans in the Senate blew him up for political reasons. I mean, th uh, this, yeah. is, this is a smoking hulk of a, yeah. of a, of a fiasco for them. And I think the thing that people forget is that when they launch these investigations, this guy Igor Dachenko, this ruins lives. I mean, it's not cheap to try to defend yourself against the government coming for you and how terrifying it has to be to have a, a the Justice Department coming after you and accusing you of faking essentially an investigation when, in fact, you were trying to help your country and do the right thing. This ruins lives. It ruins finances. And the, the fact, and I think this does tie back to what you're doing in Ultra, it's the lack of concern for what you're doing to human lives and human beings as you're pursuing these really awful anti-democratic agendas that that really burns. And it also shows that the Justice Department has a really, really, really hard time bringing accountability to bear against people who have a lot of political power. In this yep. case, the Russia investigation was properly predicated. It was a real thing. Nobody who was a source for it did things that were wrong. And yet the people in the FBI, the people who are sources for the FBI, every government officials at every level who were involved in it all had their lives and careers destroyed because it was a politically, a politically powerful person who was targeted. That's on yeah. the Justice Department not yep. protecting the people involved in the process while they yep. went after a target who was big enough to crush people in his way. Indeed. Uh, episode four, four of Ultra Drops on Monday. Y'all already watched it. It's the number one podcast in the whole world. So y'all already got it. So get more of it. We love you, Rachel Maddow. Thank you very much. That is tonight's readout. Capella University is rethinking higher education. With their game-changing FlexPath format, you can earn your degree on your schedule, so you can fit education seamlessly into your life. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.